You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions, or even the answers, are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and joining me, as always, is my trusted co-host, Ben Triplett. Ben? What's cracking? What's cracking? I was going to ask you about where the heck are your morals today? Uh, I don't know. I left them at home. Well, they're actually, morals are all actually a type of mushroom. <laughs> Morale? Yeah. Morals? Morales. The morales. I don't know. Morals. Honestly, I have your morals. I know what you're talking about, yes. but I don't speak French. So. I've eaten I've eaten them before. I had had a friend that was a forager Ooh. and would go foraging and then bring stuff back. That was like my first forte into eating really weird looking mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Uh but they are quite delish. We uh yeah, we have this dream that baby tea will be a like be able to forage and Wait, have we, wait, 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 build structures. Pause, and, pause on this because you need to add context to what you're talking about that I do not believe we have, you're throwing shade on a bridged. situation. Yeah. We've not done this on the air. Okay. I'm having, well, I'm not. <laughs> Kelly is pregnant. We're having a baby. Yay. Yay. So yes, but we will co-host Ben is going to have a tiny co-host. Yeah, no, we're um we have dreams of the child learning to forage and homestead and all these sorts of things. So, I guess that goes along with we've always talked about babies being born with beards. Oh, yes. So well, maybe I mean, it'll be born with a beard. I don't know. Again, I've told you this, but I don't know if I've told our listeners this, our our dear friend Jorge that we both know. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a man that is, uh, he's going through a program and I mean, this is, this is pretty scintillating stuff. Uh, something like curriculum and, you know, the whole development of curriculum. So he's getting his mm-hmm. doctorate in something involving curriculum or creation of curriculum and all those things. And so he was reading through all these other books that really about how education is, has, is different around the world, like contextually, because, you know, well, the one thing it just came from, and I need to, I need to take a picture of my phone because I love this picture. He showed it to me. It's like this black and white picture, and it's a kid in Russia. I'm guessing not even one. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, well, no, that's with probably... A, with a baby bottle of vodka. No, I would love that. No. No. Uh, but he has like a, a, a sickle. Oh, you know, like, like a scythe or scythe. something? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. And so they actually had him out in the field with everybody else. And so you have like this, you know, this large curved... Sharp object that, again, <laughs> if you just start teaching the babies young, they can, they can clear a field. Or cut their hand off. <laughs> or that. Or, or, um, or clear a field. I was going positive. Wait, wait for throwing <laughs> negative shades on this. You're talking about, I mean, I'm just saying if the Russians can do it, you guys can totally do it. Maybe. We'll see. But I've also known some crazy Russian friends who also had <laughs> sent me a news article where they had had a, a rash outbreak of people dying um, in Russia, because oftentimes people can be crazy there, uh, because they, people, um, 
It's actually really sad. They were stealing aftershave and drinking it because they, mm. they thought it was a, a good way to get a buzz. Yeah. I mean, actually, it's, it, it's a good way to smell pretty nice and I, tasty. But. I did drink a bottle of perfume as a child and got drunk. It, it, was, it, an, it was an accident, but yes, I did do that. Wait, the getting drunk was the accident or actually just the drinking of the perfume? <laughs> the drinking drunk. of the perfume. Okay. Yeah. It, no, it, the drunk was intentional. <laughs> no, I mean, I was like wait, wait. one. Is this maybe. a real story? Yeah, it really is. I, or maybe like two, because I climbed up on my parents' dresser and just dr- downed a whole bottle of perfume. So I guess, you know, now that I think <laughs> about it, I guess I have been drunk before. <laughs> wow. Um, I never, I'll have to try that when I get home. This is strangely related to the topic, too. I will, I will get home and get my uh, Elizabeth Taylor's White Diamonds. Yeah, that I just use for special occasions, and I'll just crack off the top oh, and Chanel number five. Just take it straight off. Mm. <laughs> Actually, Ben, I think you bested the Russians on that one. So, yeah, I don't know. They Screw were you, commies. I was, I was like gender bending, drinking the perfume. So oh, the <laughs> they wouldn't approve of that. That's amazing. Yeah. So speaking tr- of morality, speaking of morality and drinking <laughs> perfume. Uh, that was, that was Dogs good. Dogs eating pot brownies. Actually, yeah, it, it was really weird. We just have a total article about little children drinking, uh, perfume. So, uh, <laughs> I never knew that fact about you and it's really odd. Uh, no, what we're doing is they, uh, the Barna group, um, has actually come out with a bunch of research, really what they're calling the end of absolutes, the America's new moral code. Uh, this came about a week or so ago and, uh, we really wanted to talk about, the way that we view morality um, in kind of culture today and um, a lot of the stuff they found out, it'll be, it'll be more interesting as we talk through it and we'll get off topic because that's just what we do. <laughs> and already have done. And already have done <laughs> plenty. Um, but with that, what you begin to do is you begin to see just how different generations view things differently. And, and I think how in many ways each generation likes to think that they're viewing it correctly. So it's kind of like, it's this weird thing of each one feels like they have absolutes mm-hmm. and their way of viewing the world and the other ones are wrong. And so just, just moving forward with a few terms for us to be able just to wrestle with. So we're not necessarily mincing words as we're going through this. So, um, it, it, cause it is funny, like these terms, I feel like I do this a lot too. Um, uh, but I, I hear people throwing around what the, you know, what is a millennial, uh, you know, what is a Gen X or all this other kind of stuff. And I think it, it it's, it's very murky and what is the start and stop points of all this kind of stuff. And so f- just for conversation and just to be on the same page, I'll give, I'll, we'll kind of read off the definitions and then we'll hop into the talk. So at least, you know, what we're going through here. And so millennials would be, uh, would be individuals born between 1984 and 2002. Uh, Gen Xers, uh, would be between 1965 and 1983, which is kind of the baby busters slash Gen Xers, which that's kind of a weird thing. They're squishing them together. Baby busters. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Hey, 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 buster. hey, baby name. Buster. You can have baby buster. <laughs> that would remind me too buster much of <laughs> Arrested Development. <laughs> I can't. That's even better. He would be like a 40-year-old grad student. Except for I don't let him go swimming with seals. Yes. That he would, would be, he would be all right. Yeah. Because his left hand would be gone. Yeah. A little arrested development humor there. Oh, yes. Have you ever thought of, speaking of that, baby names, uh, Tobias? <laughs> I don't know if <laughs> Tob- I would want my child to be that messed up. Tobias Triplet. That has a good ring to it. <laughs> Toby. Yeah. 
The Office and Arrested uh, Development. There. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I don't know. Anytime I think of Tobias Fuki, it just makes me laugh. <laughs> um, I'll just end it there. Um, and uh, so, so we have, okay, millennials, we have uh, busters and Xers. We have the baby boomers, which were born between 1946 and 1964, and the elders of what people will call uh, anyone before, like, 1945. Um, and what they will, yeah, and so I think, I think those are just kind of good moving forward, um, just general terms, so we know what we're talking about. They'll be talking about folks that they'll say practice faith or practicing Christians in this, um, document that we're kind of going through here. And so practicing Christians are people that would be, would say that they are regularly attending, um, religious services and in for them, for what regular means now is once a month. Can we also, I, I don't know if I like, we probably lose a lot of people by me, like just talking about qualifying everything before we actually talk about. No, go for it. I think, I think that's <laughs> interesting. You know, it's, it's, it's really funny that now I do understand that, you know, that there are different, um, well, there's always different issues during different time periods. There's different causes. There's different things that are popular, you know, and all that kind of stuff moves and it flows. But I've never liked necessarily being categorized as just this, that, or the other. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like to saying like, since you were, uh, you or I are like a, a Gen Xer that you, this is how you oh, think. This I'm is how you negative. are. This yeah. is how, this is, you know, we always wear flannel and we, we like yeah, to work. I mean, we like value work or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's the I, I, I overgeneralizations I feel like are extremely patronizing. Um, which is funny that we're hopping into a study that's gonna talk about overgeneralizations Cohort, and yeah, things like that effects. too. Um so yeah, so I, I feel go ahead. But there is I mean, there are some trends there, I think. Oh sure, sure. I I just think that's kinda where we're coming from. Things are more nuanced. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I just wanted to also throw out on the table that just we're talking about morality today, which is something we talked about before the show. Just morality basically is dealing with like right versus wrong and that there is, you know, a right way to do something or wrong way to do something, or there is, you know, a right thing to do and a wrong thing to do. Um, and also I think it's really important to point out that this study is kind of asking people whether they believe in absolute uh, morality which would be that there is one right thing and there's one wrong thing mm-hmm. to a given like question or situation. And you know, that we have like access to that knowledge mm-hmm. um, to some extent and that the other end or the other like option people are given is rel- relative. So that like, you know, things are right and wrong is constructed within your community and that, you know, it just depends on where you are and what situation you're in as to whether, you know, right or wrong, uh, like how right or wrong will function. Um, I just think it's important to point out that those are the only two kind of things we're talking about. Or I think there's also maybe an option for like ambivalent or like I haven't thought about it or something like that. True, yeah. Um, But I don't know. I just want to throw that out there because I think it's important that we always ask kind of where is our question coming from? Um, You know, what specifically is the question we're asking and how can that influence kind of the, the data quote unquote that we're getting. Well, and so, so delving into absolute truth, um, I'm going to ask you to give me the absolute opinion on things. The absolute opinion. You, yes. Cause whatever you say is the absolute truth. Cause an opinion wouldn't be absolute truth. It I'm, just, uh, you're right. I want you, you just to, want, you want the facts. I want the just facts, the facts me. ma'am. just the facts, even though again, this is why we're getting nuanced within this, that, uh, 
things being absolute kind of gets a little bit weird because you'll have your own perspective, opinion, uh, cultural baggage, background, everything else like that too going into it. So, would you like a baby bottle of absolute? Oh, <laughs> I just want some perfume right Sorry. now. I need to. Would perfume okay? That one for that joke. That was terrible. So. Do you have any like I recollection like does does the perfume smells <laughs> a certain way going in? I have no recollection. Does it not? Like, this is a story that I'm told by my oh, mother okay. generally. She and she also jokes about she the, and, to her the funny part was that my diaper smelled like perfume for like a week. That's what I'm asking. That's exactly you answered my question. That's what I was yeah, looking for. She thought that that was the the funny part. Oh, that's not cr- that I was. Like, that's like your parents are like we're never changing this diaper. It just smells so good. <laughs> Like wobbling around, yeah. drunk on perfume. Anyway, <laughs> okay. So we would. Okay, so I'm just gonna just just ask you just a, a bunch of situations that I want you to give the absolute truth. Okay. Okay. Um, spaghetti or pizza? Pizza. Absolutely. Always. Okay. Always um, pizza. Apples or oranges? Neither. <laughs> mm, okay. Okay. This is this is some good stuff. Uh, <laughs> ambivalent. <laughs> okay. Um, you, you just rattled off. Uh, we were talking earlier before the show about different uh, superhero genre movies because you like to, it's a thing you do with your folks, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so I'll say Deadpool or um, Civil War. Oh, the movie? Yeah, the movies. Uh, Not Dead- the character. Probably Deadpool. Deadpool? Okay. Um, taking naps or staying up late? Gosh, I feel like you'd have to do both. Probably staying up late. I'm not a huge nap person. Okay. Because I'm just making this up. Okay, so so you're getting this idea is that... <laughs> I, yeah. love, I love that these are the uh, ends of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> Taking naps or staying up late. I know. Um, I, I don't know. I was just kind of spitballing on those. But I was I mean, hoping was... you would go Superman or Batman because there is an absolute truth in that. Okay. It's always Batman, always. It's always Batman. Never Superman. Superman is the worst comic book hero ever. Well, Batman plays dirty. That is an absolute truth. He'll, he'll get the job done. And Superman is like too busy, like rescuing kittens. Batman's like, kitten interesting. Trees. He's relatable. He's like somewhat believable, even though I'm not sure someone could go around the world and learn all martial arts by the time they're like a 20 year old. Um, Jean-Claude? There's, a, there's like meaning there. Superman's just this ideology, ideological, he's boring. Okay, so again, so, so that I just was, alienated all Superman fans there. People just stop tuning in on this. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot, Ben. Um, no, so so yes, I mean, absolutes. Being able to say this is exactly the way it is. It has always been that way forever. There's no changing it, and I am the one who knows it. Mm-hmm. And so that I think, and th- this ends up being why why this kind of stuff matters. And actually, I think we'll probably pick it apart, saying in a certain sense it doesn't matter, but it ends up mattering a lot. Like all these kind of stats and stuff end up mattering a lot to folks in the in the religious world. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to know who is keeping the faith, uh, who is being orthodox, who is doing the right stuff, and then on the flip side, who is the heretic, who's doing the wrong stuff. Uh, who do we need to kick out? Who do we need to criticize? And all this other kind of stuff. And it, so it ends up being this 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 weird just dichotomy between. Um, finding the absolutes in life. Whereas I think that like we had had on like a past show where we really feel like that in many ways, the, the call of Jesus is also to kind of embrace the, embrace the murkiness in life 
um, and, you know, embrace the God on the margins or the God in the dirty places. And it's not simply just this or that Mm -hmm. type of a situation. To live in the tension. Okay. So yes, to live in the tension. So, uh, that was a very long beginning for us to get to this point. So, uh, what they began to do, so the Barnard Research Group, they uh, have this new research that is really beginning to reveal what they would call a growing concern about the moral condition of our nation. Which, again, I like how I've heard you say before, Ben, you know, even the the question, the presupposition that they had before even doing this research is also very telling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, you know, I mean, they're coming at it like... Asking a question is coming from a direction. It's not like the questions just exist out there on their own and we're all sort of like going to pick one and that's the one we're concerned about. I mean, the question comes from uh, your world and the problems that are created by your experience in your world. Well, and as, as anyone who has ever sat around a Thanksgiving table um, or any time that you're visiting folks of your family that would be from an older generation. Um, and if they happen to be from a Christian, more or less conservative Christian perspective, you know, at least I have grown up in this whole idea that like, for lack of better words, there's this, there's this whole worldview that the world's going to hell, mm-hmm. you know, that somehow in a it hand used basket. to <laughs> in a hand basket, um, that it used to be an idyllic place. You know, it back in the forties and the fifties, every you know, <laughs> sin didn't happen. Every you know, everyone, you know, just farted rainbows and everybody was moral and I wish crime, I could hit the sarcasm button on that, but you're crime you're not being never happened. Uh everybody was loving to each other, people loved Jesus, everyone went to church, everyone believed. And then now, fast forward to now, you know, we're at where we're at now, where we're in the end times. I just mm-hmm. know. I mean, I've been around so many churches where that, that ends up just being like the bell they continue to ring. Oh, Jesus, come back soon. Jesus, come back soon. This is the end times. We're immersed in the end times. Look at what's happening in the United States because we're in the end times. Mm-hmm. And, and so it ends up kind of being this whole thing. We've It's because of all that we've lost. Which, the one thing that always gets back to, and it doesn't get brought up because... Uh, apparently I've just been around a lot of old white people um, is when they, and again, talk about like the forties and fifties being like this idyllic time where neighbors were there for neighbors and everything else like that. They somehow forget about civil rights movement. Yeah. That's, and, that's the first thing my and, brain went to. Yeah. Other things along that nature <laughs> that needed to majorly change in our country. Like we can all eat at the same table as yeah. long as we all look like each other. <laughs> That's true. Well, That's when like when the, the restaurants were separated, yeah, exactly. it was easier to get a table. Right. Uh, I didn't like that, as long, no. If that is the idyllic world, then I will choose now. And so, yes. I'm okay with now. Um, and so, and also, I mean, really, there's no internet, no MP3s. I mean, that's the I worst know. I mean, you know, the techno, I don't know. Sarcasm. Um, thank you. One. Yeah, this, and, and for those of you that may be listening for the first time, um, there you are listening to a show called Snarky Faith Radio, so there is going to be heavy doses of sarcasm smeared out through this whole thing. Um, so again, yes, this study begins with the presupposition that, that there's already something going on. Um, and so within this, it, it, it's it, they're, they're trying to kind of talk about what is the moral condition of our country and then being able to ask the elders, the boomers, and all these, and trying to figure this out. So um, when... 
So it says here, like in the study, it says a majority of American adults across a age group, ethnicity, gender, socioeconomic status, and political ideology express concern about the nation's moral condition. Eight in 10, um, yeah, 80% of the people that, wait, eight in 10, even though that's 80%, that doesn't sound like very much people they're asking in this. Or are they just breaking it down and I'm reading it very obtusely? Wait, when, it, when, it, when, it, when it says eight in 10, um, um, overall, believe that there is a problem with the nation's moral uh, condition. I th- yeah, I just think that's worded strangely. Yeah, it's. I think that's, hopefully, hopefully, if you had ten people, then yes. eight of them would say this. That's not, that's not that they asked ten people. That's right. <laughs> this is definitive. <laughs> that would be a very skewed. I walked into the parking lot and asked people questions, and now publish. Hey, buddy. No, yeah. that's. I assume that's where they were going with it. I saw that was worded really odd. Um, and so what what you begin to see is when you begin to ask like the elders and the boomers, um a lot of them would decry the problem of our moral condition, that we're losing it, that it's sliding away from us. Um, and then only Trump can bring it back, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, no, some, that, that, some people Trump say. was not in there. Sorry, I had to throw that in there. Um, Sarcasm. Thank you. Um, that was not an endorsement of a political candidate. <laughs> Not some people. This message would, was not approved. By some me. people would agree with you, though. So that's like a half sarcasm button. Right? Yeah, and I, I couldn't cut it off halfway, but yeah. And so, okay, I'll just say this: I was, I was trying to be jaded, and I was, and I was trying to just kind of throw like a veil over. Okay, so let's just be honest, my <laughs> my dear listeners. Uh, I had my in laws visiting recently, and. Luckily enough, I'm pretty sure they don't listen to this. And if they do, I'll hear about it in a subversive way later. Um, and I just like, I remember sitting across from them and them just going off on just how Trump is there, man. He is, he's it. And he's the one that's going to fix America. He's the one that's going to be God's tool to fix everything. Um I mean, the tool part, I can see that he's a tool, but I mean, but the, and I was, this, this went on for an hour and you will all be proud of me because I really didn't argue with them because I was able to say, there is no point to this conversation. Mm -hmm. This is not a fight worth fighting. And it just made me drink my beer faster. Yeah. To dull the pain. I do think that's a good example of the sort of absolute truth thought though, because it, it, you know, sort of governmentally, we're basically given two choices, right? I mean, there are many, yeah. many choices out there. There are many solutions to the given problems in our country, and yet we see it as there is either this person or this person, which infuriates me, and I'm hoping at some point that maybe people will see that we don't have to have just two choices. But, again, our opinions don't reflect WCOM's opinions. Um, our opinions barely reflect us. <laughs> That's true. On yeah. a given day, yeah, we're, we're maybe relativists ourselves. Um, but yeah, so that that kind of reflects that you know it's either Republican or Democrat, um, Trump or Hillary, and you just sort of dig your heels in on your side once the <laughs> you saying that made me so sad. Why I'm crying on the inside. Oh yeah, our, our only yeah, options are Trump or Hillary. Sorry. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, and and. I think some people have like settled that this is how it is. Um, and I, I do think it comes from a certain perspective of, you know, in, in an earlier show, we talked about tension and this sort of idea that there needs to be like a resolution or perspective and answer 
that we can like stand on so that we don't have to live in tension. Um, and ironically, I think the government was made so that uh, our government was set up in, in such a way that one person would not have uh, enough power to make that much of a difference, which is why I don't like flip out too much about the presidential race. But um, <laughs> what it represents about what's going on in government right now is is kind of scary to me. Um, but yeah, I think that there is even supposed to be at least a tension within the government. I'm not sure if that tension's necessarily there. I think it gets projected through media. I think that there is a lot more agreement behind the scenes than we actually know about um, because it, it keeps people paid and it keeps people happy and they don't have to sacrifice quite as much. As long as those people aren't the general, the general constituents. No, no, no. That yeah, are being represented. Is, those people. Yeah, these are the people yeah. in power, not the people that yes, are. Yes, the, the greasing of palms. Supposed and, to be uh, in power. Yes. Well, like we're supposed to be in power. They're supposed to be representing us, but I don't know if that necessarily happens either. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, but anyway, all that to say, like, I, I do think it's interesting that this sort of like party bipartisan system does reflect, I think that sort of absolute truth as well, that like one or the other is supposed to be like the solution for a given problem. Um, and people believe that because they do fixate so much on the presidential race and what it represents that, you know, there's a Democrat in power right now in, in the presidential, the, the seat of president. And that, that means that you, that means something that one side is one out or the other side is one out. When in reality, I think that, and you know, we'll get into this, that people actually see uh, morality as more of a matter of consensus, that mm. that is kind of the way the government was set up. Um, and if you go back to sort of the philosophical roots of like social con contractarianism and uh, like we're entering into like a contract with one another so that we won't kill each other, and I've I've not signed that yet with you, Ben. No, we don't all sign it. Some of us are just born here. Oh, I thought you were just talking about between me and you. Yeah, we, do, we have no contracts. Okay. No, we just have this weird tension between us. And there's... there's this there, awkward tension. There is, a, there is a dual clause that we can... Yeah. If we, if we need to duel at some point. Pick, pick some sort of absurd weapon, mm -hmm. like a Nerf gun. Mm-hmm. I think we should do that one day. Or just like, did you, soaker when you were like in middle school, did you guys ever do those things that where you'd like fold up paper and you'd like real tight and you'd use a rubber band and like yes. shoot it at people? Or quarters was what we did. Oh, okay. Which is actually pretty violent too. Yeah, we, we would, you'd always have the idiot kid that would put a thumbtack facing <laughs> outward down the thing yeah. that you're shooting and you're like sitting in the middle of the class and you're like, ow. Right. Um, okay, sorry. No, no, that's yeah. fine. I was just going to say, uh, you know, the, the idea of democracy is to kind of live in tension and to live within sort of the consensus majority of what's going on so that we don't have like warring factions all of the time. Mm -hmm. Even though I think <laughs> kind of where we have ended up is that we are, we do have sort of warring factions. But I loved how you just, okay, you just boiled something that was very, very interesting down that I think a lot of people disagree with, but I love how you said it. So that... You, or, okay, maybe I will misquote you on this, but that morality is essentially a consensus. Well, that's like in, in and amongst culture I to think, some degree. I think in our culture, that was one of the assumptions that was made to in like building our government and building our like national identity. And I think that that's reflected in the numbers in the study that people say generally, I think even though some people would even you know, like practicing Christians, for example, would say 
I believe, you know, that the Bible tells me that I should do this. But then they also have this underlying assumption that it's more of a kind of majority rules type thing because that's democracy, right? Yeah, you're right. But, but it's, it's, inter- well, it's democracy, but, but this whole idea though, um, on, 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 on a deeper level and we'll, I promise we'll hop back into this stuff. I'm sorry. You just made my brain explode a little bit. Um, well, think about this. I mean, this idea of consensus and that like morality through some sort of form of consensus. I mean, when we begin to look at, um, what is like the normative evangelical, uh, view of what would be orthodox, like in America, that they there is there has been a bit, and I think some of this is is part of historical tradition. But there has been has to have been an element of of consensus for for what we're saying is important and what's not important. Like what what verses of the Bible do we harp on? What do we ignore? Um, what do we throw? You know, what do we make the hallmarks of what we're doing? And what are ones that we're just like, oh, these are suggestions. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and so, and I think that again, when we begin to, because we'll, we'll hop in, I mean, th- this, this very point, I think will, is really what the, I think the study is, is trying to bring out in many ways, but you'll, it, you'll see Christians that believe that there is an absolute truth. Mm-hmm. There's an absolute morality to things. And all of that is inherently in the Bible. Yes. Yeah. But if you look historically, and even if you look at the Bible as a whole, there are definitely things that are elevated and, and ones that are kind of pushed back down or ones that are ignored in this, you know, and, and things like that. And so mm-hmm. I think that, but, but, but the history of walking this out, some of this, this has to have happened through consensus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I mean, I, I just bring it up because I like to, I, I know I like beat this drum probably every week on the show, but, but there are kind of historical um, underpinnings to the things that we say and do. And I just like to unearth them and throw them out there on the table. You know, people might disagree with me, but, um, and another thing I think that's functioning underneath that sort of consensus model is capitalism. Yeah. Um, because capitalism, I mean, it, it does kind of function on this assumption that like everyone should do kind of what's best for his or herself. And that, that, you know, will work for like the greater good. So there is kind of an individualism in there, but um, there's also like a pragmatism, Mm -hmm. like whatever works now for everyone is what we should be doing because it generates the most, you know, value or profit. Um, And I know economists are probably going to like smack my hand with a ruler, but because I'm generalizing a lot. Um, But I, I do think that there are those assumptions at play that we're, we're talking about like what's going to work now and what can generate the most benefit now um, it comes a lot from our kind of philosophical heritage and our like structural heritage. Well, I was talking to somebody the other day that was complaining, um, complaining to me that they were, well, they were essentially saying is I just, they just didn't feel like, well, they had a lot of guilt about the fact that church didn't make sense to them anymore. Mm-hmm. And this is an adult and, um, gosh, I don't know, like based upon the age limits there, uh, like a buster, maybe, maybe a boomer. I, I'm not exactly sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was just talking about that. And so he was just asking me like, well, why is it that I'm not feeling fulfilled, um, being in church anymore? Mm-hmm. And so we just began to talk through this whole idea about how culture, because again, and, and, and for those, cause I know we have, we have folks 
and um, like Southeast Asia and other areas like that that listen to us. So just just recognize that I have no idea if if the context that we're speaking to makes sense to you, uh, but we're speaking of this from the American weird capitalistic church tradition mm-hmm. that we speak about right. quite often. And um, no, but just we just started talking through just how you know how one first of all that that the the church comes out of culture. Like the, the culture reflects the church and church reflects the culture to some degree. And, and that on the, when you mentioned capitalism, when you begin to look at it also, most of our churches say, even though I understand we'll say they're a nonprofit, but they're structured like a business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the things that we measure that are important in churches are very uh, business-like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to get enough butts in the seats. You need to get enough people involved in this, that, and the other. I mean, so, I mean, just the metrics that, that we're using to gauge these types of churches and ministries are, are from the business world. It's, it's We've taken all this approach to it. And so when you begin to think about the things that we, again, preach uh, or the parts of the Bible that are pushed out more, well, you're going to do the, the things that, I mean, we want Jesus victorious. We want uh, abundant life. We want, I mean, you can think of all the corny names that have come up from non-denominational churches, you know, like New Hope. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, all the, all, the yeah, <laughs> I was going to let you have that one. Elevation. Um, it's all about getting higher, right? It is. Well, yeah, but all these, like these names that are we just. We are going to be above you. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and so when we do this, but it's all marketing schemes. I mean, we're not going to talk about, I mean, yes, Jesus wants you to sell your possessions and go like live in poor areas and help those and put. Uh, your life on the side um, while you're helping to heal the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't sell. That doesn't sit on a bumper sticker. That's not going to sell books. I mean, people will go, oh yeah, that's so great. Like that's the revolutionary Jesus that we're talking about. W- which, but you know, because honestly, I feel like this. I mean, I feel like in many ways, if you want to talk about po- politics, which you brought up earlier, um, think of like the. I, and I can just think of um, listening to elders that I know talking about Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. Oh, it'll never work. You know, all this is pie in the sky stuff. It's idealism. You know, all this idea of no, 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 no. He needs all this kind of stuff, which again is honestly, I think if we were honest about it, that's how most churchgoers uh, would talk about Jesus. He's just too idealistic. Oh yeah. Absolutely. It's too much I of a stretch. So. Revolution. Ah, it's just too much of a cost. Not, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go pragmatically with this person that sells books. Not and, to conflate yeah. Bernie Sanders with Jesus, but yeah, that I, I think it brings up a good point that a lot of times people will like miss the point. <laughs> but hey, they, they're, they they're, don't. They're both Jewish people with a following. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just I feel like yeah, people sort of miss the forest for the trees. Oh yeah, when they yeah when they get on that. But I don't know. I just brought the point up because I I like to. I feel like it's more than just rationale that's going on. It's it's that we're sort of in the... I'm trying to think of... Uh, David Foster Wallace gave a graduation speech, mm-hmm. and this is going to be u- misusing his phrase a little bit, but uh, he t- have you heard that? It's called This is Water. And he talks about how people, you know, you graduate, you get in a job, you get in a routine, and you just sort of become one with the routine. Mm-hmm. after a while and you don't ever stop to like look outside of it and say it's like a fish that swims around in the ocean all the time and they're not going to like think that they're in water we think about fishes being in water because we're outside of it right mm-hmm. yeah but the fishes are f- fishes is that right the fish are um swimming around in water um 
and and not i mean they're probably not aware of anything anyway but um if you were swimming around in water all the time you're not gonna like reflect upon that uh you're just gonna assume it and so i think it's good every once in a while to try to like pop your head out and sort of see what you're swimming around in Mm. and remind yourself you know we are swimming around in something you know (laughs) so when we speak of politics i can't stay on the air what that something is yeah um (laughs) So, and it doesn't normally smell like perfume in the diaper. That's true. We're not drinking. Yeah, we're drinking something else. <laughs> okay, so all that to be said, all that to be said, all that to be said to get to this point. And so there's just a few things I just wanted to throw out that they had here. Um, and, and we'll hit towards the end of this. We'll hit like what their conclusions were. But I think the interesting part is is honestly what we're talking about right now is I think what's getting missed in the mix of all this. Um, which again, I'm not necessarily like trying to nail bar to the wall with this whole thing, but it, the questions that you're asking these people that you're interviewing, um, you're, you're in a certain sense already leading them in a direction. Yeah. And I, right. I, I guess we've already done that, but I mean, it's, it just, all of that kind of stuff can't be stated enough. Um, and the fact that it's not just, that there's always a reason, like why even do this study? Like why even go after this? Why? Well, because there, it's of interest to the churches. It's of interest to pastors. It's of interest to people who are on the radio and like to just tear things apart. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they did it just for us. Yes, they wanted us. To uh, I mean, that's my that's my assumption. I mean, that's air. the way I look at everything. Absolutely, it's just for me. Um, so, you know, here's one of their quotes. And so it says like the, while most, uh, American adults agree that culture plays some role in establishing moral norms, um, a majority also agree that quote, the Bible provides us with absolute moral truths, which are the same for all people and all situations without exception. And so that was like 59%. Uh, and I'm assuming of these, of the boomers that they were asking about this, um, but, you know, I'm going to hit that just again so that they're talking about absolute moral truths, which are the same for all people in all situations without exception. Like that statement is so wrought. It just, I don't know, it just with many things that make my skin kind of crawl, like the absoluteness. Baggage. You know what's, yeah. <laughs> That's you know, what, you know what's interesting though? I, I read, it was, this was years ago. Um, and I've I've been interested in that kind of idea of, how do we hold, I really feel like people still hold absolutes or they, they at least hold perspectives higher, some perspectives higher than others. Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. though I, I've, I met just being around a college campus, you generally, you have a lot of people playing with ideas and exploring. And, um, I actually had one guy, we used to go out and listen to pit preachers and things like that, because it can be really interesting just to see human behavior in situations like that. I had someone come up to me and try to argue like as the like purest form of relativism that you could ever like imagine. I mean, he just changed his, he, he claimed absolute things like, you know, I believe in God. I believe in Buddha. I believe in the devil. I believe in this and that. And, you know, this is true. Gravity's real. Gravity's not real. I mean, he just kept like changing because he wanted to prove the point that he wanted to be completely relativist. Um, but I, anyway, just in in those experiences of sort of 
uh, exploring the question of, you know, relativism and, and the impact of culture and social construction. And then do we still hold on to things that we, you know, know to be true or we believe to be true? I saw a book in the thrift store just in, when I was in the throes of all this stuff. Uh, it was a book of feminist critique of certain cultural um, assumptions, especially, I think, in, in certain cultures where women are treated in a certain way. It was interesting because a lot of people were critiquing relativism in this book. There were a lot of feminist thinkers because there was no way that they could accept that women would be treated in this way in these cultures. I thought it was really interesting that it, I mean, it raises its own questions that, um, you know, I think especially when you, you, at least in my experience, when I talk with more kind of scientifically minded people, they're more comfortable with saying, you know, like something a little more certain on some of these things. And, and, um, they, they say, you know, I'm not being biased. I've, I've got like evidence or I've got, mm-hmm. I've really thought about this reasoned it out and this makes the most sense, or this is the most probable thing usually is kind of the evidence quote unquote that's given. But even in those situations and this drives people crazy. So I don't usually like throw this out there. I mean, I'm, you're not going to stymie anybody, but going up to a scientist and telling them this, uh, so don't do that. <laughs> but there's still assumptions there. You're still working on oh, yeah. some sort of assumption that probability is the best way to understand something. Sure. Or, you know, that you can be certain about some things and not certain about others. Um, that there are like facts and values and that those two things are completely different. I mean, those are all assumptions that you're bringing to the table. So I think even um, it's, it's just an interesting dichotomy, I think, to draw because even in the relative even in the relativism, there are some absolutes. Does that make sense? No, you're right. I mean, it's like, well, that, that's what had me think that, 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 uh, that statement, which just gets to me that when we begin to talk about the absolute moral truths of the Bible, uh, same for all people in all situations without exception. I mean, you even brought this up. I mean, um, you know, first of all, let me just throw this in there. Like, are, are there timeless truths, you know, that we can gain from the Bible? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, are, are there calls to compassion and all that kind of stuff that transcends, you know, certain situations and stuff like that? Absolutely. Um, but this, this idea that absolute, uh, with all time, without exception, like you even said this earlier, like, I mean, just think about what it was like for women to grow up in patriarchal societies. Mm-hmm. You know, do we take how women were talked about in certain times, uh, or how there's scriptures that, I mean, there's dodgy scriptures about that, that a is reflecting their understanding during their culture uh, at a certain time in the history of the world that does not necessarily gel with where we are at today. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I mean, that's, we're talking back about probably, and this, this is going to sound, I mean, but like in the intellectual infancy period of mankind in many ways, um, you know, I think as we begin to walk towards like the rise of the Greeks and the Romans, we're, we begin to look at things uh, from a different perspective. But, um, but even again, I mean, we've even just seen this only like in the last, what is it, 50 or 60 years, like have women been mm-hmm. able to vote, you know, in our country. So, so being able to say that, that the Bible has, you know, is, is, is absolute truth for all times and all situations, you know, I would talk about, well, uh, 
ask, ask women how they feel about that. Yeah, really. You know, as people who've been in slavery that, that feel about, you know, certain scriptures that again, spoke to slavery, which was commonplace back then and other things like that. I mean, so, I mean, I, I just think that this idea that, that we end up having like this measuring stick that this, and, and that if the Bible is this huge moral measuring stick, that is the same and that somehow all of us read it exactly the same outside of culture, outside of history, baggage, perspective, everything else. And we just, we can measure everything absolutely with it. It's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I think it's coming to the scripture. I I like, I think it was Carl Barth that talked about holding like scripture as God versus, um, you know, letting God be God and then scripture is something else. And, you know, it's related to God, but uh, you know, I think at least in the churches that I grew up in, Christian traditions, um, more kind of conservative evangelical, it's like you come to the Bible with uh, an attitude of certainty and trust. And what that does is it dismisses the fact that there might be questions or that you might be bringing something in from your perspective that's not quite right. Um, which, you know, it's, I mean, it's a really kind of arrogant way of reading scripture. Um, and that's really rooted in history as well of wanting to be certain about things and that there are signs of the certainty, you know, and people interpret that in different ways in different traditions. Um, but yeah. And then growing up, I mean, things just fall apart when you start to see like questions come up in scripture and you can't, you can't ask those questions of scripture because you're not allowed to. Mm-hmm. because I'm just supposed to trust. So, you know, for some people, they're just like, well, I'm done with this. You know, I'm done with this book because this is terrible. Other people might, you know, come up with rationale and say, well, you know, this is what this is saying, or we just need to accept the atrocity because there's some sort of truth in there, and I'm not sure what it is, but I'm just going to trust that it's there. You know, and and going on your example with the way that women have been treated over history, I mean, it's led to just awful things mm-hmm. <laughs> happening to people, uh, either just by sort of a complicit um, acceptance of, you know, well, I guess this is just what this means, and this is, you know, what I should do uh, by by both men and women. Um, you know, so, for example, like in a puritanical society, um, if a, a young lady is accused of something and she can't, I mean, she has no voice to really be able to, defend herself in front of a, a male authority figure, then she becomes evil. Or, you know, if she mm-hmm. does try to fight back or, or you know, um, give her cause, then she becomes evil and labeled as, you know, this or that sinful thing or, you know, a, the devil or whatever. Um, yeah, and so, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just agreeing with you and rambling at this point um, that, it's it can be very dangerous to come to scripture with that that sort of blindness that sort of hubris that's like covering over like what am i bringing to this it's almost like it reminds me of the guy o- oba or omar or whatever the guy's name was that just ran up to the ark with no forethought at all and you know tried to save it from tipping over and he got struck by lightning cuz he didn't realize kind of what what was going on and the gravity of coming to um, coming to the scripture with this sort of like blind hubris, even even if his intentions were good, that made you know? me. Uh, I was so confused for a moment because somehow my brain went straight to like Kim Han 
and like the Ark, like uh-huh. Noah's Ark, and I was just like, wait, where? I don't. Recall. Oh yeah, not that I don't Ark. Remember Ark of the this. Covenant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally with you. My brain's just Indiana Jones Ark. Yeah. <laughs> Raiders of the Lost. No, but but I think that you're right. Like when when if we were to step into the situation, um, to be able to to look at these things with absolute truth. And all of this other stuff, and we, especially even when we approach Scripture, I feel like what that begins to do, it doesn't let Scripture speak to us. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? We, we come to it already knowing this, and as opposed to coming to it with a, with a state of humility, being able to say, I don't know, and I want to wrestle this out, and I, and I need to do this. Because in a in certain essence, like if, if we're elevating the Bible to that high of a standard, it's almost like then if that's that logic, then why do we need God? Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Well, the it, Bible becomes God at that point. Yeah, I mean, it's just yeah. God gave us everything and then kind of just went peace out and every once in a while steps in when he's angry with Haiti or other places because of whatever thing that, I don't know. But, you know, I mean, but when we when we, when we look at it from that perspective, yeah, that's, that's just what begins to bug me, that I think that to approach the Scripture almost as, as a conversation um, about what I don't know, um, but... But really, you know, being able to ask questions like, well, what is God's nature? Like, where, where is all of this? But even being able to take this like into prayer as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it, it just takes a very different posture of being able to say, what can I learn as opposed to I already have this figured out. Yeah. And I guess, I guess that's why those other like statements make my skin crawl because I feel like, um, you know, it, it's like looking at something that's just, I don't know, like an eye chart on the wall or facts that are written up there. Like that's what it is. We already figured it out for you. You don't need to think you just need to say these things or know these things. Yeah. It's, um, this might be a little bit of a stretch, but I feel like it's a really modern, um, way of approaching things that this sort of scientific mind or the modern mind comes to the world, comes to the given and tames it and controls it and says, how am I going to bear fruit out of this? You know, how can I, like rend this in a way that it's going to give me fruit and give me what I need um, or want really. And yeah, I think people with that kind of modern approach of like certainty and um, that, that they want to come to the scripture in the same way, even though they might've convinced themselves that there is certainty in this, they're coming to the scripture and saying, I'm going to tame this thing. I'm going to make it say what I want it to say. I'm going to control it so that it, you know, renders fruit that I need or really want at this point. It can push my agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we have just a few minutes left. And what I want to do is I want to hit their, um, their conclusions and then we can kind of unpack this because I think that oftentimes when they begin to, to do all of this, it ends up being like the doom and the gloom of stuff. Like when, when Barnes and research about the nuns N O N E S not, the nuns and the women in church, but the nuns, the people that would say they're spiritual, but not religious people that have walked away from church. And when we begin to do this, like it throws these grand shadows, like over, you know, the church in America where they're like, well, what's going to happen. And you kind of either have like these just two different viewpoints in, in, in how to, I guess, walk it out. One, it's keep doing what we're doing, but try to do it better. Um, or two, you just kind of keep doing what you're doing and just assume everybody else is awful and the world is now turned into Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and what I think happens, because when I was, again, I think I mentioned the story earlier, talking with my friend that's wanting to walk out of church, you know, I was telling him, I don't think this thing that people are leaving church and that in many ways the churches are dying is a bad thing. I mean, I, I see it as an opportunity. And I think if, if the church continues to say, well, 
let's just keep doing what we're doing, but either do it better or just condemn people more. I think that's the wrong answer to the problem that we have. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the problem is where have we, where have we moved? Like where have we moved off course? You know, what have we done and how can we change? Um, Not change in a way that me, that I'm saying change to accommodate people. Cause actually I think that's the problem of what's happened to the church in America is it's become so much about accommodating to people. Um, You can go into like churches that end up having like playlands that look like McDonald's or, or, you know, play parks inside, you know, and mm-hmm. we've accommodated so much that we've, because we've just cared about advertising and getting butts in the seats and treating it like a business. You know what I mean? We, we've gone down this weird road that I think that these answers, while certain people may hear them in dire, um, like as a dire warning to the church, I see this as a great opportunity is really what I'm getting at. And so just to throw to their conclusions here, like ultimately, and you've been hearing us get at this the whole time, you know, they were saying millennials are more likely than any other age group um, in the study to say that moral truth is relative. While on the flip side, boomers are the most likely to say that more uh, moral truth is absolute, which is interesting that the elderly, like that it was the boomers and not the elderly, which I think, again, we're talking about culture. Mm-hmm. Um, in this. And so uh, finally they had had, it says Barna, Barna's research reveals the degree to which Americans pledge uh, allegiance to the morality of self-fulfillment, a new moral code um, as da- uh, David Kenneman, uh, president of Barna argues, has all but replaced Christianity as culture's moral norm. So I think with that kind of being the conclusion, I want to just take a few minutes uh, or maybe a minute and a half to be able to dissect this. We talk too much, <laughs> but we are a talk show. Um, but looking at that, like, I, I think their conclusions are just wrong when they begin to do that because I feel like that they just end up pointing their finger at what they would say is more relativism, um, and it's because America has moved in the wrong direction. Um, I just think it's become the church doesn't offer answers. The church doesn't offer, doesn't fill the need um and the church expects a lot out of people that doesn't and doesn't give them a ton back. And maybe some areas or corners of the church have adapted or are struggling with the questions in new ways. It's just we tend to miss those things because I think sometimes when something is so new or different, it's easy to either look over overlook those things or to just miss them because it's hard to recognize. No, that's good. I think that that is that that's very good stuff. And I think that, um, like this will be fun. It'll be fun because I think pastors will read this and just be able to wag their fingers at the evil culture and walk away from the study and really change nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that just you know, dig their heels in, dig their heels in, and keep doing life this, the way the same way it is. And I just I don't know when I begin to look at it, I think that um, I look at it through like a lens of hope. Um, and the fact that I think that when we approach scripture and realize that context matters, um, yeah, I was told that, um, I took, I, well, yeah, too many stories, but, um, you know, I've been told that con, you know, context is wrong when you're looking at scripture, like mm-hmm. by a professor before. Um, and, and all that kind of stuff just makes me like shrug my head. I'm like, excuse what, what, like, why, <laughs> you know, I think it's great that, that millennials are thinking. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just about the church being able to, provide something that matters to them. Because if the way that they're giving the message now doesn't matter, I think there's something wrong with the way we're giving the message. Yeah, or to address the problems that they see yeah. that other other generations might not have seen. Yeah. Well, all right. I think we've, we've uh, beat this drum into the ground, uh, which is probably two different metaphors that 
um, don't even go together. Beat so, the dead drum. Yes, beat the dead drum. So uh, as we get into this uh, broadcast, just a reminder, you can catch us on podcast at www.snarkyfaith.com. We love your feedback. Uh, drop in reviews for us. If you're over on iTunes or Stitcher, uh, talk to us. Give us ideas. Give us feedback on Twitter and on Facebook. But that is all we got this week, and we will catch you again next week. We are out of here. WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. Aqueduct Conference Center was established in 1978 as a peaceful destination for small group meetings, special events, conferences, retreats, and weddings. For more information, go to www.aqueductcc.com. We are also sponsored by Lumen. Lumen, a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question askers, doubters, and skeptics is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be better than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com.